Well, we are finishing up our sermon series entitled Back Together, where we've been talking about the arc of reconciliation, right? There's been a lot of ways in which our relationships have been broken down this past year, this past year plus, um, and we're talking about some of these concepts, some of these ideas that we really need to look at in order to repair our relationships and look at each other in, in ways that we are called to look at each other. Now, the topic I'm preaching on this morning is the topic of humility, which is kind of a scary topic to go over as a pastor sometimes. And when Matt was introducing kind of what I would be talking about this week, he kind of talked about how, you know, in this sermon series, it went from the easiest things to do to the hardest things to do. And look at me, I'm doing the last sermon. So obviously I'm talking about the hardest thing to do out of all these concepts that we've been talking about. But also when we sat down and we're kind of talking through some of the different ideas and topics that we could be discussing throughout the sermon series, this topic was the one that kind of stood out to me. And it's not because I, I'm going to stand up here and say, hey, I'm, I, I'm so humble. I'm the most humble person you could ever meet. And so I just I want to impart my wisdom to you, right? That's not at all what's happening. In fact, if that were what was happening, you'd probably be looking at me like, Jack, um, there's some things you need to work on, right? That just wouldn't make much sense if I were to sit, sit up here and say that. But I feel as though Scripture points out very clearly how we are supposed to be humble. Scripture talks a lot about how humble we are supposed to be and in, in, in the ways we are supposed to be humble, right? And so, in some ways, this might be kind of the easiest sermon to give because there's so much said about it in Scripture. But in reality, this is one of the most difficult concepts to get in our head and one of the most difficult ideas for us to wrap our heads around and say, yes, this is how we do it and this is how I'm going to do it. And oftentimes, that is because we have grown up hearing the complete opposite of how we are supposed to be humble. We have grown up hearing the complete opposite of what Scripture teaches us on the topic of humility. Because I know certainly for me growing up, there was a lot of media and social media that was telling me, hey, you need to be the best at this. You need to watch out for yourself because, hey, they're watching out for themselves and they're going to get you. And so you got to be on the de defense or on the offense, right? You need to be the one that is, is being the best at something, is doing the best at something, Right? In the United States, we're a lot about get, get, get. The more we can have, the better we can be, the better we can feel about ourselves, right? The, the more items that we can buy means the better we are than the other person, the nicer vehicle we have, right? There's so many different ideas in this, in this culture of, hey, you need to be the best at something. And it, it's so funny how things work out some weeks when you're preaching something, and then all of a sudden something happens, and you're like, oh, wow, that's a perfect sermon illustration, and so I was watching this show with my sister, and um, there was three siblings. And the whole premise of this episode of this show was what these siblings are best at. Okay, So the oldest sister, um, actually I think it was the middle sister, she's like the smartest out of all, like in her whole school, she's like the smartest child that, that there is, right? So they're like, well, she's the smartest, so she's the best at, at, at school and all this stuff, right? And then you have like the older sister, and she's not really all that smart. And like kind of TV show, not that smart, where they kind of play off of it and make humor out of it, right? But she's really, really pretty. So like, yeah, she's, she's the best at being pretty. So we, we, she has that, right? And then they get to the youngest son, and he's named Luke. And uh, they kind of just have that, that look in their face of like they're searching for something in their mind, and he's not the best at anything. So then the whole premise of the show is like, well, we got to figure out something for Luke to be best at. So they kind of search for things, and they, they try baseball, and he's throwing a baseball horribly and just tossing it over his dad's head, right? 
And this this whole idea of like, we need to figure out something for Luke to be best at, right? And that's the, the mentality in our, in our culture. We got to be the best at something. We have to be the best at something. And I don't think Scripture says that. In fact, Scripture says that we are to be helping others be the best at something, right? Scripture doesn't say we ourselves need to be best. We need to be considered, concerned for ourselves being best. We need to be concerned for our brothers and sisters being best. That's what Scripture teaches us. It's quite opposite from what I've heard all throughout my life growing up in this, in this nation, right? There's so many TV shows out there that just talk about, like, hey, you need to get everything you can, and you need to be, become rich and have all the vehicles and all the you know, stuff, right? And that's just not true. So we're talking about this topic of humility this morning. And yes, we are turning to the letter to the Philippians. That's where we're going to be at this morning. And we're going to just be talking about what, what Paul kind of spoke to the, these Philippian believers about and how the situation there um, catered to Paul kind of feeling the need to talk to them about this, this topic of humility. And so we're going to be turning there. We're going to start off in Acts chapter 16, though. We're going to start with this point. Paul helps start the Philippian church, and it holds a dear place in his heart. Paul helps start the Philippian church, and it holds a dear place in his heart. There's a lot more to the story than just the verse that we're going to read, so let's read this verse really quickly. It says, From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. So this is from Acts, talking about Paul's uh, first missionary journey where he goes to Philippi and he helps start the church there. And in this chapter, chapter 16 of Acts, there's a lot talked about in terms of what happens when he's in Philippi. Right? There's a conversion of Lydia, and there's the, 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 the Philippian jailer in that whole situation. What I find really funny about this whole chapter is that Paul really, really likes the Philippian church. Right? They hold a dear place in his heart. But the city of Philippi itself, right? the, the city of Philippi itself, did not treat Paul very well. He actually ended up being thrown in prison at one point, hence the whole situation with the Philippian jailer, right? And so this, this could have been a really negative experience for Paul. He could have looked back on it and said, hey, the city of Philippi, they were terrible to me, I didn't like it there. But instead, he looks specifically at the church and says, wow, that was an amazing experience, as well as this next point here. The Philippian church supports Paul financially. So it wasn't just that he went to Philippi and he had a great experience there, right? It wasn't just like that was something that happened in the past and, and he really enjoyed it and he's wondering how the Philippian church is doing, so he's writing to them. What ends up happening is this, this church, they hear the gospel and they're so impacted by it. They, they feel so strongly about the gospel and about Paul preaching the gospel that they're like, hey, Paul, we want to partner with you in ministry. Paul, we want to give you money so that you can go out and preach the gospel to people because obviously the people need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. If it weren't for you doing that, we wouldn't have heard about it and we wouldn't be as greatly impacted as we are. And so Paul says this in chapter 4. He says, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. 
I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. So obviously Paul feels very strongly that, hey, this is an amazing thing that you guys are doing, right? You guys are partnering with me in the gospel, and I really appreciate this, and it's really amazing that you're doing this. Not, not any of the other, other churches didn't do this. You guys did. And he's not writing to them saying, hey, you gave me some money, can I please have some more? He's writing them saying, hey, you guys gave me money, and it was more than I really needed, and I don't, I'm not asking for your gifts. Instead, I'm saying, hey, this should be credited to you. God sees this. God sees your actions, and he is pleased with your actions. And so we see that Paul is writing in first gratitude for the support, but we'll also see that he's writing to encourage the believers. So Paul is writing in gratitude for the support and to encourage the believers in Philippi. And so if we look at the first chapter of of this letter to the Philippians, in verse 4 it says this, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Right, so Paul is, is first off writing in gratitude. Hey, thank you guys for partnering in the gospel. And it's not just a, hey, thank you guys for the money. Really appreciate it. It's like, hey, you guys believe in something? You guys believe in me? You guys believe in Jesus Christ? And you are partnering with us in this ministry. That is much more significant than just putting a title of financial gifts on it. They believe in something so strongly that they want to give to that cause and they want to support that cause. And what's, what's interesting about this is that we might think that this church is just rich, that they have more money to, than they know what to do with, and so they just decide to give to Paul anyway because, hey, we just have money sitting around, why not? It's actually not true. We see in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, that Paul uses this church as an example of how to give, and he actually says that out of poverty, they gave generously. So this isn't a rich church. This is a church that just believes in something so much that they want to partner in this ministry. And that is why Paul holds them in such high regard. That is why Paul has a special place in his heart for this church. But he's also writing to encourage them. Because he also says this, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. So it's not just this letter saying, Hey, you guys are doing great. Thank you for the, for the gift. Thank you for partnering in ministry with me. No, Paul still says, hey, I just want to encourage you as well. I want to pray that you guys still keep seeking growth because you're not done growing. Honestly, this is a pretty young church still, so they still need to be encouraged to pursue depth of insight and and more knowledge and to be pursuing after Jesus. And so we get this, this point here that Paul knows there is always a possibility for issues to arise or for believers to grow in faith and love. There is always a possibility for issues to arise or for believers to be growing in faith and love. And we see this in this letter 
In chapter 3, Paul's going to talk about some of these Jewish Christians who are coming around and preaching that they need to be doing specific things to be welcomed into, into the Christian family, right? They need to be circumcised, or they can't do this, or they can't, they can't do that, they have to do this, right? And Paul goes so far as to actually call these people dogs, because he's upset with them. But we, what we also see in this is that the Philippian church isn't dealing with some of the same things as, say, the Roman church, for instance. Right, we see the Romans, that they, they are struggling with this idea that there are Gentile believers, Gentile Christian believers, and there are Jewish Christian believers, and they are not getting along. They are really conflicting in how they are, are living out the gospel. But the Philippian church isn't necessarily having that issue. And so that isn't really something Paul needs to talk about. And what I also find interesting about this letter is remember how we talked about Paul was thrown in prison at one point in Philippi? Do you know why that was? It's because they found out he was Jewish. Right? Even though Paul is going around preaching the gospel, right? He, I mean, he's, he's that Paul, preaching the gospel Paul, right? People still find out that he's Jewish and that he's going around preaching something. And so they say, well, we can't have that. So they throw him in prison. And so the Philippian church, that's just not something that they, they deal with because they, they lay the hammer down pretty quickly when they find out someone's Jewish. They don't want that conflict that they see going on in other, like just the city itself, not necessarily the Philippian church, but that city doesn't want to see the conflict that's already happening in other cities. So they, they are pretty quick to, to get rid of that, right? So they threw Paul in jail because they found out he was Jewish. But they're just not facing that issue. Doesn't mean they're perfect by any means. And Paul still has things that he wants to say to this church. But finally, in verses uh, 8 and 9, says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So we just see here that Paul is saying, Hey, remember to be thinking about the things that I've taught you, that you've learned, that you've seen me do. Remember to be processing through these things. Right? He's not blatantly calling them out and say you're doing something wrong like he does with some of the other churches because they need to be called out. But he is saying, hey, you guys, you know, you're not perfect, okay? There's still growth to be, to, to be sought after here. Paul's still growing himself. And if he's still growing, then, then the church in Philippi ought to continue growing as well. So he just wants to encourage them Think about the things that are good, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is praiseworthy. Be thinking and pursuing after those things. Don't let them stray far from your mind. Because once that happens, then the issues start to come. Once those Jewish Christian believers that are preaching that you need to do certain things to be accepted, once they come, you will fall away if you don't keep in mind the good things that I've taught you. So make sure you're always thinking about those things. So Paul wants to make sure to encourage them. So that's kind of the overall theme of the book, is, is Paul is writing in, in gratitude for the Philippian believers, but he's also writing to encourage the Philippian believers. And there are some things that Paul specifically wants to point to, and humility is one of those things. And I believe that to be a case of, you know, it's not that humility is like the cherry on top. You know, once you're a good Christian, then if you are humble, you got the cherry on top, and there you go, you're good to go, right? I don't think that's the case. I think Paul 
is going to specifically talk about humility because he knows that's something that the Philippian church could very possibly struggle with. Because what ends up happening when we start doing pretty well at something? Sometimes we can end up kind of getting a big head about it, right? We say, well, the Philippian church, we're doing really good over here. That silly Roman church, they're really struggling. So we're, we're obviously better and we need to help them out, right? We need to help those lowly Roman church people figure out their issues because we, we've got it figured out and we're, we're just better than them. Right? That's incorrect. But that's definitely a feeling that they could end up having as the Philippian church if they are doing well, which it seems like they are. And so this is quite possibly an issue that Paul could see coming up for the Philippian church. And he says, hey, let's just talk about it now and get it out of the way because I don't want you guys struggling with that. And so what we're going to do when we look at this topic of humility is I kind of want to jump around a a tiny bit in the final parts of chapter 1 and the beginning parts of chapter 2. And um, it's kind of interesting how this is laid out in looking at this this idea of humility. But I want to kind of start in the middle of this, this conversation that Paul is having with the Philippian believers about humility with this one line. It says this, In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, I believe this to be one of those lines that, that preachers use oftentimes to you know, capture someone's attention and say, hey, you know, think like Christ. If I were to say, think like Christ, and say, amen, question mark, you would say, amen, right? That's obvious. We want to think like Christ. That's something we're called to be doing. So think like Christ. Amen, everyone says. Paul's got him hooked, okay? And so he, he's saying that in a way to kind of direct their thoughts. To say, hey, I, I've now got you with me. Let's go on a journey and talk about humility specifically. He's starting with the general category of, hey, let's think like Christ, which applies to so many different things in life, right? It applies to every single topic that we've talked about in this sermon series so far. If I were to say, think like Christ and how you accept people, you'd say, amen. If I were to say, think like Christ and how you love people, you'd say, Amen. So when I say, think like Christ, when Paul says, think like Christ, have the same mindset as Christ, these people would say, yes, amen, I agree with you, Paul. And then Paul will say, all right, let's dive deeper. Let's go into the subject that I actually want to talk about today. But what we first see with this this line here is that the main issue in life, the main issue in life, this is a very large statement, but the main issue in life is not thinking as Christ does. If you boil it down, say, what, what can all sin be boiled down to? Well, we weren't thinking like Christ. We weren't acting like Christ. We can really boil it down to that, that statement. The main issue in life is not thinking as Christ does. And therefore, the solution to any problem, the solution to any problem is to think like Christ. And so if we're laying out this, this sermon, as Paul is kind of laying out this argument, we are going to see now the specific topic of humility. Now that we've laid out that idea that, hey, the main issue in life is not thinking like Christ, so the solution to any problem is, is to think like Christ, let's talk about how Christ thinks about the topic of humility. Let's look at how Christ views humility, which is, is kind of funny to me because it's like, one of those messages, one of those lessons, one of those um, you know, 
whatever you've heard from, from someone teaching you, where they, they're saying, they say some statement that you're like, yeah, that's easy to agree with, cool, let's, let's go for it. And then they get to the serious part, and you're like, whoa, 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 I didn't know that was going there, otherwise I wouldn't have agreed with that. Right, so Paul's like, hey, let's think like Christ. Everyone's like, yeah, who? let's think like Christ. I, I agree with that. And then he goes, now let's talk about humility. Ooh, Paul, don't know if we really want to talk about that, that, that topic right now, because that's scary, because being humble is hard. I don't really want to talk about that. But that's kind of what Paul's doing, which I find humorous and kind of fun and um, also a little bit convicting. But So Philippians 2, 1 through 4 says this, Therefore, if, any, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So this is kind of the main point of Paul's message to the Philippian believers here, right? And he kind of lists off some, some, some ideas there where he says, if you feel this way, which the Philippian believers would say, yes, I feel that way, yes, I feel that way, right? Then he says, then finish it off. Be unified with each other. Have the same mindset. Have the same mindset. Be one in, in purpose. Be one in, in spirit. Be unified in how you pursue after God and how you are acting. And then, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Now, Pastor Matt and I were kind of talking about how we feel like we kind of end up saying similar things in different ways throughout this sermon series, right? Because when I listened back to the sermon from last week, there was this idea of, of elevating others above yourselves. And this is essentially saying the same thing, right? So first off, if we are to think like Christ, we are to be elevating others above ourselves. So that's going to sound pretty similar to, to last week, a couple points last week, right? Because if we're going to be loving other people, if we're going to be forgiving other people, finding and, and seeking true reconciliation with people, we are going to be elevating them above even ourselves. We are going to be looking after the interest of others even above ourselves, which to us is so countercultural from what we've been hearing in society for so long. Watch out for yourself because they're going to be watching out for themselves, right? They, they, just, they should be concerned about themselves, and you've got you, so that's fine, right? If, if they're you know, poor or homeless, then they've, they've obviously made some mistakes in their life, right? So don't, don't worry about them. I've heard that before. But I don't think Paul would agree. Paul would say, no, what, what, what is their need? Even above your own need, what is their need? Be concerned for them first, even above yourself. That is so countercultural. Maybe you're like, well, Paul, you make a good point there, but I'm not exactly sold just yet. Well, let's go into a little bit about Paul's life himself, and we'll, we'll see an example here. Right, so this is from the chapter before. Chapter 1, verses 21 through 24, it says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. 
If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I I don't know. I am torn between the two. I, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. <laughs> this is such an interesting take from Paul. He's writing about himself. But we have to keep in mind that Paul is in prison right now when he's writing this. And so very literally, he could be close to death. And so as he's thinking about death, he has it in his mind, well, hey, honestly, if I were to die right now, that'd be much, much better for me individually. I'd prefer that. Because one, I'd be out of prison, and two, I'd be with my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I find Paul even to be one of those people who, even when he's not in prison, that would say, yeah, honestly, it'd be better for me to be with my Savior Christ in heaven, right? But it's interesting that Paul then says, but honestly, for your sakes, it is much better that I remain living and remain here. And that's not Paul kind of tooting his own horn and saying, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm a great preacher and people love to hear me speak and you know, I'm, just, I'm an amazing person, so obviously it's better that I'm here, right? No, that's not Paul saying that. Paul is saying, like, hey, I know what, I've been, my, what my mission is from Jesus, and that is to preach the gospel. And if that's my mission, then being on earth is how I enact that mission, how I follow through with that mission. So quite obviously it's better for your sakes that I am following through with that mission, so I need to be here on earth. And he even goes further in the next few verses to talk about how, hey, I do think that I will end up carrying on living because I know that I've been tasked with preaching the gospel, so I just figure that I'm going to keep living, right? It's such an interesting mentality for Paul to have, and honestly, I believe that we should all kind of reach, reach a point where we say, hey, we know it'll be better for us to be with our Lord and Savior in heaven, but we're not done here yet. We have a mission to follow through with. We ought to be preaching the gospel to people. So it is better for others' sakes that we remain here on earth preaching that gospel to others. At some level, we ought to all reach a point like that. And so we see that Paul elevates others above himself. Paul is an example of what he's talking about right now in the idea of humility. Paul knows it's better for people for for him. It's better for people for him to remain there. So he says, "Hey, I'm going to remain here. I want to remain here so that I can keep preaching the gospel to people." But maybe you're still not even sold, right? You're like, "Ah, oh, Paul, I like what you're saying. I like the example of you, but I need something more. I need something more." Well, who is the best example of humility in all of Scripture? Jesus Christ himself. And so Paul is going to go into a poem where he describes this idea. He says, Who being in very nature God, talking about Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord 
to the glory of God the Father. So Paul says, hey, if my story isn't enough, if my points aren't enough, guess who should be? Jesus Christ himself. As we, we see that Christ humbled himself to obedience, submission, and death. Christ humbled himself to that. One of the commentaries I was reading for this message that I, I really enjoyed how they, kind of the perspective they took, because I didn't even think about this for a second until I read this. We like to think sometimes of Jesus as being born into the world. But like Jesus didn't exist until he was born as a, as a child and grew up. But when we think about the fact that Jesus has always been, Jesus has always existed, and he lowered himself even below us, he humbled himself even below us in coming to earth, taking on the form of a human person and dying the most humiliating death that you could think of at the time. Honestly, that's, that's quite a beautiful image that we have to follow. Because it wasn't as though Jesus w was born into, into life and then God was like, hey, so now you need to submit. No, Jesus has always been. And so he had to humble himself in order to be obedient, in order to submit to the will of the Father, and to die for each and every one of us. Paul knows this is the greatest example of humility that anyone could ever think of. And so when he's talking about this topic of humility, he knows I need to make my point and I need to show people how Jesus was humble. Because honestly, this, this is a great, great image for us and how we ought to be humble. Jesus Christ took on the lowest form, right? He humbled himself to be obedient and submissive to what the Father commanded him to do, and that was to death. But he did it because of how much he loves us. It wasn't because he said, yeah, I know what I have to do, and I'm annoyed by it, but I'm going to do it anyway. No, he said, I'm going to be looking out for the need of humanity. He looked at each and every one of us and said, I'm going to elevate you above myself. I'm going to elevate you to a place where I can be loving and accepting and sacrifice myself for you. And that is a beautiful, beautiful image. So that's what I want us to kind of keep in our minds as we move forward into the art of reconciliation section here. So first and foremost, reconciliation requires us to think as Christ does. And this is just the general idea, right? If we're to be accepting of people, to be loving people, to be humble with others, we have to think like Christ Jesus does. It doesn't start anywhere else other than thinking as our Lord and Savior does. That's where it all starts. Right, that's the solution, thinking like Christ does. So we see that reconciliation requires us to seek the benefit of others and not ourselves. Now that word seek there is very intentional because this isn't something where we say, yeah, you know, I've, I've elevated this person above myself and I've, I've humbled myself and it's, it's all good and then you just sit back and just you know, let things play out however they may play. No. 
You have to actively seek out the benefit of someone else. You have to say, what do they need even above what I need? That is so important for us to do. And this, this idea has been really scary for me to wrestle over for the last couple of weeks in preparing for this sermon. Because as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, okay, if I'm going to be doing this, I need to be thinking about others and what they need, even above my own self. Which scares me, because then I'm like, but what about like, my, my actual needs? Like, if I were to give up something for somebody else, like, what about my actual, like, physical needs? You know, like, a home and, and, and food and things like that. What about my actual needs? Well, the fact of the matter is, is if, as a community of believers, we're doing this together, I shouldn't even have to worry about that. So I should be able to have your back as all of you have my back, Right? That's how it should work. According to Paul, that's exactly how it should work. We should be able to say, hey, I'm elevating you above myself while someone else is elevating me above themselves. And it's just this community of believers serving one another and loving one another and accepting one another and finding true reconciliation with each other. So that brings me to my last point which is sincere reconciliation requires humility. I don't want to say that humility is like the foundation or the basis of reconciliation, right? So I don't know if it is. I think overall, maybe love is kind of the basis of reconciliation. But to have true, sincere reconciliation, you have to have humility. So I'll tell you this much. You can say that you love someone. You can say that you accept someone and that you have truly found reconciliation with someone. But if you don't have humility, it won't end up happening in the way that you think it might. Right? If I am to look at someone and say, hey, they believe something different than I do with regards to theology maybe, right? They believe something different than I do. But I love them and I accept them but my view is still better than theirs. Is that sincere reconciliation? Not one bit, no. I have to look at them and say, I love them, I accept what they believe, and you know what? I want to find out why they believe that. I want to elevate them above myself and say, hey, can we have a conversation about this? Can we talk about this? Because I honestly want to figure out how we can really, truly get along with each other even though we believe a couple different things. Paul is all about unity in each of his letters. He loves to talk about unity. And if we are going to be reconciled to each other sincerely, then we need to elevate others above ourselves and say, hey, how can we truly, truly get along with each other? How can we truly be reconciled to each other as we are reconciled to God? So as we move forward into next steps, you know, as I already kind of talked about with this, with the idea of, of confession and reconciliation, there's this idea there where we're recognizing that we're not perfect, that we do mess up. But there's also this idea of something that we're pursuing towards, and that is reconciliation with each other and reconcili- reconciliation with our God and Father. And we are working towards that. That is a process. That's not something that we 
have that, that's done in the church. That's something we're working toward. And if that sounds appealing to you, if you want to join a community of believers who are working towards reconciling with each other and with our God and Father, then I invite you to come forward as we sing our last song here in a second and give your life to Jesus. And just have a conversation with me about what next steps might look like for you. Secondly, if you have already given your life to Jesus or you're, you're, you're new to town or whatever that might be and you want to learn more about our church and what we believe and what we teach, then I invite you to sign up for a Connect class. That is a wonderful way to further your understanding and, and further your, your relationships with people. And so we invite you to sign up for one of those um, through the church office throughout the week. The next thing I, I really want to emphasize this is join a small group. If you're not in a small group, I really want to encourage you to join one. Because this is where people, where we're really like pushing for people to be growing in their relationships with others. We want to see people grow in their relationships with others and grow in their understanding and knowledge and insight and their faith in Jesus. And this is where we're hoping to see a lot of that happen. So if you're interested in doing that, please, there's a form you can fill out on our website or you can contact the church office. Um, you can send me an email and, and we'll get you connected with a small group. Um, they, they go through the, the sermon questions that you'll find kind of inside your sermon, uh, your sermon handout there. And um, they just go through those questions together throughout the week. So if you're interested in joining one of those, please contact us. Finally, if you're part of a small group and you, you already know everything you need to know about the church here at Turner Christian Church, uh, we invite you to join a service team. We invite you to actively be seeking out ways that you can be elevating others above yourselves as we all just pursue that idea Right? It's not something that we're going to be perfect at. When I say think like Jesus, I'm not up here coaching you saying, hey, now that you know this, 100% of the time you ought to be thinking like Jesus, right? I'm not saying that because I know that's not possible. What I am saying is, hey, this is what we should be striving for. This is what we are striving for as a church, as a community of believers, and as brothers and sisters in Christ. So if you'd like to be doing that, we invite you to join a service team. Now with that, I want to invite you to stand if you are able for uh, our invitation hymn. So please stand and sing with us.